Welcome. Good morning, everyone. My name is Bryce, and like Josh said earlier, I'm in the Antioch Project. I just finished my second year in the Antioch Project. And I've also um, led a couple different small groups here at OCC, but I'm really excited to be here um, and speak with you this morning, so thanks for uh, being here. I've gotten a lot of support from people, and that's been really humbling, too, so thank you for all the people that have been praying and, and just supporting me as I'm here this morning. I also want to say Happy Father's Day to everyone, too. I am a new father. This is my first Father's Day, actually. So uh, my son is six months old, Levi. Um, So he's been a great delight. But uh, one thing that I've just been so encouraged by is seeing all the different fathers that are part of our church is just um, just the sacrifice that you that you really make to lead your families, to care for your families. Um, You dads really do such a great job of serving your families. Uh, So this morning, I wanted to honor the dads in a special way. I wanted to honor you for one of the roles that you play in your family, and that is Mr. Fix-It. If something goes wrong in the house, you know, you call in dad, can you fix this, whether it's plumbing, you know, or uh, maybe it's hanging a picture on a wall. And some of you are great at filling that role. Others of you, maybe you call people and they fix it to you. Um, but I wanted to show you a video just to highlight all those times where you've looked at a project and you said, you know, I think I can do that. And it didn't maybe turn out the way you thought it would. So check this out. I loved uh, tool time when I was growing up. So, <laughs> But in all truth, thank you, dads, for all that you do. Continue to lead your families with courage. They're counting on you to bear up under immense amount of pressure and just lead your family forward. And so continue to do it. I know your families are counting on you. So this morning, we're continuing in, in on our series on teachability, where we're talking through the different villains of teachability. Each week, we're going to be talking about a uh, different one and and how you can combat against that villain as it pops up in your life. There's three words that fully capture the villain of teachability that we're talking about this morning. It's three words that many of us have said when we've looked at a project or a task that we had to handle. It's three words that has been all the justification that we needed to just kind of forget about advice we've, we've received and just focus on getting what we want in the situation. It's the same three words that I'm sure Tim the Toolman Taylor has said many times as he looked at things he was working on. And it's this, I got this. Individualism, or an I got this attitude, is one of the main villains of teachability. It's the kind of thinking that puts my goals, my interests above everybody else's. It's the kind of thinking that doesn't really care how a decision is going to impact other people. It's the kind of thinking that doesn't really receive input um, as well. Individualism says, I got this, and I'm going to get what I want. I don't need your input, and I don't care how it's going to affect you. People that think this way are very far from teachability. They just think that based on my own perspective or my own intuition in the situation, I can figure all this out. There was a time when I definitely said those three words. Um, I was a sophomore in college, and my car started to die on me. I was going to school here in California, 
I'm originally from Fort Worth, Texas. And I said, you know, I need to get around, so I need a new car. And that kind of led me to these three really great ideas that I had together. So the first, my first great idea was that I thought it would be really cool to drive stick, you know? Fast and the Furious, whatever. So it'd be really cool to drive stick. I didn't know how, though. So then that led me to my second great idea, which is, well, if I buy a car that's a stick shift, right, then I'll have to learn. I have to learn how to drive at some point. So I started looking for a stick shift car. I was looking through different cars. Finally found one. It was in Texas. My parents were helping me look for it and stuff, too. And then that led to my third and final great idea, which was, you know what else would be really cool? What if I drove all the way from Texas to California by myself straight in a stick shift car? <laughs> what could go wrong, right? So we get the car, I fly to Texas, and I would get about a total of two hours of lessons driving stick before my big adventure. So I land in Texas, we get the car, I drive it around the block a couple times at my house, my parents' house, and I think, you know... I think I got this. I can figure it out. I struggled a little bit. I stalled out sometimes. But I thought, you know, I should probably go to bed early. Um, I have a big day tomorrow, and I would hate to be underprepared for my trip. So I went to bed. I woke up the next morning, and I headed west like many pioneers before me. And I, <laughs> I got in my car. I was driving west. I was on the freeway. Things were going great. You know, I stalled out about every time I stopped, but that was Okay. I thought, you know, I'll keep making it. Uh, no problem. About nine hours into the drive, I made it to El Paso, and my worst nightmare happened. Rush hour traffic. It was bumper to bumper. I was stuck right in front of this giant semi-truck. So every time the car in front of me would roll forward, I would stall out a couple times. It happened about three times in a row, and the semi kind of caught on. This guy doesn't know what's going on. So he lays on his horn, you know, you know, so I'm panicked. One of those Tim the Toolman dealer moments, right? So I panic. I pull off the freeway as fast as I can when I'm stalling a lot, and I pull off. I end up in this parking lot. I kind of have this realization, finally. I don't know how to drive stick. <laughs> so what do you do when you don't know how to drive stick? You look at YouTube. So I got out YouTube in my car in this parking lot, this random store in El Paso, and I'm looking at videos, you know, trying to take in all I can about how to drive stick. I call my parents. I decide to check in, you know, probably should let them know what's going on. So I call them and just kind of give them an update. Hey, having some trouble. But I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to drive around in this neighborhood. It's going to be okay. I'm going to make it. So then a few minutes into driving around the neighborhood, I get a phone call. And it's from my middle school Spanish teacher, Senor Gray. All right. Hola, Senor Gray. says, hey, you're having some trouble driving stick. So, yes, I am. So she gives me some pointers on how to drive stick. We hang up. I keep driving. A few minutes later, I get another phone call. It's from my middle school Spanish teacher's husband. He's called me now. All right, cool. He gives me some pointers. I hang up. Then I get a third phone call from her son. So I talk to the whole family just about. They're all giving me pointers on how to drive stick. And at this point, I'm just exhausted. I'm spent. I can't do this. I don't know really what's going on. I tell my parents, I'm just going to find a hotel. and I'm going to stay the night. Figure this out tomorrow. So I look for the closest hotel. I find one. I stay the night there. I get all my stuff out of my car, throw it down on the ground, I pop down on the bed, and I am exhausted. I am freaked out. I don't know anybody in El Paso. You know, I don't know how to drive my car, so I don't have access to anything, to get help from anything either. But you know, tomorrow's a new day. I figure this out tomorrow. So I check in with my parents, let them know I'm there. 
going to sleep, and I wake up the next morning. So I grab my stuff, I check out of my hotel, and I walk over to my car, I throw my stuff in the car, and I take a seat in the driver's seat. And I look to my right, and I say, thank you, Mom, for flying to El Paso this morning. (laughs) Driving with me the rest of the way. So yes, my mom flew to El Paso, rescued her little boy from driving around but I was humiliated at that point but I was so grateful for the help I was so grateful before that I wasn't really very teachable I thought you know I can just figure this out on my own I got this I can do this and it wasn't until the heat and the pain of my circumstances were turned up enough where I realized I need to learn and I was willing to learn from everybody including my middle school Spanish teacher's family uh, YouTube and my mom eventually who flew out there So here are a few things that I learned from my experience related to teachability. You can follow along on your listening guide. These are in there. But the first one is this. Taking an I got this approach to life can leave you stranded. Being stranded really captures what I was experiencing in that moment. I just had no access to anybody. Um, Being stranded, um, someone who's stranded does not have access to people or resources. Um, There's nobody I knew in El Paso that could help me out in that kind of a situation. And I also didn't have access to anything because I couldn't drive my car and get anywhere, get any kind of help. And usually when this happens in life, it doesn't happen right away when we get stranded. Usually it's kind of a gradual process over time where we make several decisions. And even when I was driving um, west to California, there were several parts along the way where it was pretty clear that I should turn around and get some help on those things. So it kind of goes the same way. In life, maybe it's you're working on a project with several people at work. People are start providing input to you on whatever project you're working on. And the way that you react to those people in a non-teachable way sort of starts to separate you from them. They start to give you less and less input into whatever decision you're making or whatever you're working on until the point where they really don't want don't, don't to provide any input anymore or they don't even want to help on the project. So all of a sudden, it's due in a week and nobody is there helping you, nobody's there giving you advice and there's really no way for you to accomplish this task. That's sort of how it happens in a gradual process where we slowly isolate ourselves by the way that we respond in a non-teachable way to people. Teachability, on the other hand, can be a map and an expert guide to get you to your destination. If you think about a map, which there's a map on the screen which you can see, uh, but a map details all the roads and the lay of the land to help you know how to navigate to get to your destination. So it'll tell you the different roads that you should take in order to reach your goal and where you're headed. A good map will give you an accurate picture of what's actually there. A bad map will tell you that, you know, these two freeways intersect or these two roads intersect, but when you're actually driving them, um, they don't actually do that. So a good map gives you an accurate picture of what reality looks like. And similarly, an expert guide is someone that's sitting with you in the passenger seat of the car and can give you some help on how to navigate through things. So you can see this next picture. It's from the Street View Vantage Point. Um, Sometimes it's hard to take what we see on a map and apply it to the situation that we're in currently. And so an expert guide can take what we see on a map and, and see how it applies to whatever situation we're faced with right now. Similarly, God's Word is our map. And wise people are expert guides on how to navigate through life. God's word gives us an accurate picture of how reality works. Um, God's word explains how things like our jobs work, relationships work, finances work, marriage, all those things. God's word describes um, and explains to us the principles that go into how those things actually work in life. 
a wise person can help us interpret what God's word says and how it applies to the exact specific situation that we find ourselves in. Maybe you're having conflict with someone in a relationship a lot. Um, and a wise person can, can help you understand the principles from God's word and how it applies to that situation. Or maybe it's your three-year-old son who just won't finish dinner. Um, you know, a wise person can help you understand what's the best way to handle a situation like that. God has designed things so that we need both in order to way to live in order to live the way that God wants us to in life. I need to know what's in God's word and I need wise people that can help me understand situation by situation how I should respond in, in different um, situations. There's a story in the Old Testament that tells about a leader, Saul, how he didn't respond with teachability. Um, he didn't pay attention to the map of God's word and he didn't listen to the expert guide, a wise person, um, on instruction on how to handle a situation that he faced. So let's look at 1 Samuel 13. Um, and I'll kind of set the stage for what was going on here. So this time Saul was the king in Israel. Um, he had just become king, so he was really new to his role. And he was in charge as king of leading the men of Israel into battle against their enemies. There was this giant army that had amassed against him, the Philistines. The Bible explains that you, know, you couldn't even count the number of soldiers that they had in their army. And Saul was in charge of leading his men into battle. And what was happening is as he was going to the city, Gilgal, he was headed to this, this city there, all his men started fleeing and finding any place where they could hide, no matter what. They looked for holes, even says they hid in tombs, because they're afraid of the army that was approaching. So Saul had a very difficult task ahead of him. A little while back, Samuel, another leader in Israel, had told Saul, Hey, wait here for seven days, and then I'll show up, and I'll offer a sacrifice um, to ask for God's favor to gain victory over, um, over our enemies. So Saul was there with his army that was fleeing from him, and he was waiting. And he had waited seven days up to this point. So the pressure was starting to build on him. Um, he started to, you know, feel the pressure of, you know, my enemy, my, my army starting to flee. The enemy's right here. They could come at any moment. I haven't asked for the Lord's favor. And so what he does, even though he knows that based on his role as king, he's not allowed to offer that sacrifice. He needs to wait for Samuel to do it. He decides just to force himself and offer the sacrifice because he thinks maybe that'll keep my army together and that'll grant us victory in this situation. So it's almost as if the smoke is rising off of the sacrifice. The wind blows, and you can see Samuel off in the distance. He arrived. It says, Behold, Samuel arrived. So Saul went out to greet him. And we can follow along in verse 11. So in 1 Samuel 13, verse 11, we'll see what happens. So Samuel said this, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, here where I am. And I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself, and I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. So Samuel responds to Saul in this situation by asking him, What have you done? Saul responds right away by giving excuses, which is a clear sign of, of not being teachable. But the helpful thing in this is that it kind of gives us a window into what Saul was thinking in that moment. And the problem was that Saul's thinking didn't line up with reality. His thinking provided an inaccurate map of how that situation that he was in was really going to work. Saul thought his course of action would lead him to victory, um, but what he should have done was stayed close to what God's word said 
and the wise counsel that he got from Samuel and gone that route. Trusting that somehow God would bring victory to them in the end. Samuel rebuked Saul's course of action by saying, you have acted foolishly. The word here for foolishly comes from the Hebrew word sackle, which carries the idea of pursuing a blind desire without regarding the consequences that could come. Saul failed to really see the big picture of what was happening. He failed to really consider how this would impact the group that he was a part of. Or even just consider the larger picture of the way that God does things and the way that God was going to lead through him um, as being the king in Israel. God's ways and God's thinking are much, much higher than our ways. Though we think and we convince ourselves that we know how reality works, in truth, we just don't. We just can't understand it. We need God's word and wise people to help us navigate through the situations of life. Saul thought in this situation that he knew how to get victory, but instead of keeping close to God's commands and the wise instruction that he was given, he went his own way and it left him stranded, left him isolated. Instead of receiving help from Samuel, he received rebuke and punishment, which ended up costing him the kingdom eventually. One of the challenges that we face is that at times, it can be really hard to know when we slip into this mentality. When I was driving my car all the way across the country, I had no idea that I wasn't being teachable. But when I look back and reflect on it, there were some clear signs along the way that if I would have paid attention to, it really could have helped keep me from a lot of embarrassment, a lot of humiliation, and even just a lot of danger that I put other people in on the road. So this morning, I wanted to give you some indicators that there could be some danger up ahead. So these are a few road warning signs that can help alert you to situations when you're not being teachable, but instead you're approaching that situation with an I got this attitude or an individualistic um, mindset in it. So what I've done is I've, I've listed out some indicators for you, but I've also related them to an actual road sign, which hopefully that'll kind of help you connect the dots and realize when you're in a situation, um, maybe I should stop and be teachable instead of pursuing it like I am. So let's take a look at these. The first one is this. It's tunnel vision. So tunnel vision is when we block out um, the consequences and how this could affect other people. It's when we block out advice and input from other people and we are just locked on to our goal of what we want. When we start to get aggressive about getting what we want, that's when we really start to to not really consider how it's going to impact the people around us. The road sign for tunnel vision is this. It's the no passing zone. If you've ever been on a two-lane freeway, you know there are certain sections of the freeway where you can pass people, pass the person in front of you, maybe they're going a little bit slow. But all along the way, there's also these no-passing zones. And what happens in these is that there's not enough room for you to see far enough ahead in order to go around the person and pass them. But what people do who, who just kind of blow past this sign and don't pay attention to it, they have tunnel vision. They'll pull out into oncoming traffic and try and pass the person in front of them. And what they do in those situations is they they really put everyone at risk. They put the oncoming traffic at risk. They put the people they're passing, anybody in the car that's with them, they put them all at risk because they've just been locked onto their goal. There's two questions that you can ask yourself to really identify if this is the mindset that you're having. The first question is this. Am I even willing to consider other people's opinions about this situation? or on this decision. And if you're not even willing, even if people gave you input on this, you wouldn't really take it. You wouldn't really give it the time of day. And that can be a real clear sign that you have tunnel vision at that moment. Another question that you can ask yourself is, have I thought about how this decision is going to affect the people that are involved? My family, um, the other people at work maybe, my kids, anything like that. Have I really considered how it's going to impact them? 
If you haven't really considered that, maybe that means that you, you just have tunnel vision. You're just locked onto what you want in that situation. The second one, the second road sign is this. Act in haste and you'll miss your way. Proverbs 19.2 says, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Almost every salesman uses this tactic. They want you to feel the pressure of the moment. It's going to be gone if you wait 30 more minutes. Um, Act now. Um, And it's really effective to people to make impulse buys and decisions. Hasty people fail to do the hard work of considering what the best option is and instead choose choose quickly in the midst of the pressure that they're feeling. The road sign for this is reduce speed ahead. These signs are really easy to blow past and keep going at the speed that you are going. Usually these are in maybe smaller towns. Um, there was a lot of these when I was trekking across Texas. Um, but it goes, the speed limit goes from 70 to 60 to 40, sometimes 30. In just a matter of feet, it goes really quickly. If we're not paying attention to a sign like that, we can blow past it. Maybe we miss our exit. Uh, or maybe we get a speeding ticket because we weren't really observing this, the, the way that the, the speed limit changed over that short amount of time. Saul acted out of haste when he offered his sacrifice. He was under immense pressure, and we can understand that he was under a lot of pressure and fear in that moment. But instead of working through the right decision in the situation, he just acted on impulse based on what he could see and what he thought was best in that, in that um, situation. And that ended up costing him in the end. If I'm honest, one of the reasons where, when I act hastily is because I really am just lazy. Maybe there's a big decision that I have coming up that I know I need to make, but it's going to take a lot of work to figure it out. And so I just keep delaying and delaying and delaying until all of a sudden I need to decide tomorrow or maybe I need to decide today. And I just make a hasty impulse decision based on, you know, kind of what I think best is in this moment right now. Another reason maybe is because you just have a really strong, overwhelming desire for something. A lot of times you can feel pressure that I just need to act. I just need to act right now on whatever this strong desire or impulse is. Um, you know, I can't take it. I just have to do something. The Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Putting the work in to figure out the best decision, even in the midst of a lot of pressure sometimes, um, will lead you to success. And haste will lead you to poverty, destruction, or really a lot of consequences that you can feel. The third one is this, all I need is me. This mindset says, I can figure this out on my own, and I don't need input from other people. Whatever it is, you know, based on my own intuition and read of the situation, I can figure it out, and I can handle it. The road sign that represents this one is this, do not enter. Someone that has this mindset, you know, on you does me, will just blow past a sign like this, end up going the wrong way on a freeway, or maybe they'll end up going down a road that's not even finished yet, and that could cause them a lot of harm and a lot of damage. Saul blew past the do not enter sign when he offered the sacrifice. He knew that he wasn't allowed to do that. Um, the Bible explains that he, it says he forced himself to offer the sacrifice, knowing that, that what he was going to do is wrong. Um, and he completely missed, uh, he completely blew past the sign and, and, and just thought, based on what he thought um, was best in the situation. And what happens when we have this kind of mindset that all I need is me, is we can create a shell in our thinking so that we can't see out clearly and that no input can come in to, um, to us and we don't receive any input. And here's what I mean. Usually it looks something like this. There's a desire, there's something that we really want. 
Maybe it's, you know, I want more leisure time at home. I'm tired. I work all day or with the kids all day. And so once I get reinforcements or help, you know, I just need some me time. I really need a break. Um, or uh, maybe it's just a purchase. There's a purchase that you really want. And there's a desire that we want. And what we do is we start thinking about all the reasons why we should have that thing, you know. And then as we keep thinking about those things, we really start to convince ourselves that's true, you know. I do deserve that. I do deserve to get that. I've worked hard, you know. I deserve some me time, whatever it is, you know. And so we really start to convince ourselves, we justify in our minds, and we start to believe that we deserve it. And then we think, you know, I'm going to get that. I don't care what the cost is, I'm just going to get that. And what we've done when we do this is we've just created the shell of thinking around ourselves. And we no longer can see clearly what's happening. We can't really get a clear read on the situation. And we're unwilling to get input into the way we're thinking. And then what happens is someone asks us a question like Samuel asked of Saul and says, what have you done? We get this moment of clarity. We kind of look up over our shell and we realize that we're way over here when we thought what we were doing was actually in line with what God wants. But we need other people to give us that kind of input in order to, to see clearly where we are. One way that this mindset comes out in the Christian life um, is this attitude that church involvement is not really necessary. It's kind of an add-on. Really, it's just me and Jesus. That's really all I need. Um, that's all I really need to figure things out. If God wants to, to kind of tell me something, then he'll just, he'll just tell it to me. He doesn't need other people to tell me. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, we do walk with God closely, and God gives us a lot of counsel and direction as we just work through different situations in life. But the way that God's actually set things up is that he actually involves people. He speaks through people a lot of times in order to give us counsel on situations that we find ourselves in. And what, we, what happens is the same way of that shell-like thinking is we can really shell ourselves around and we don't realize that our thinking is wrong. And what we need is other people to show us that, hey, maybe that's not the, the right way to, to think about this situation. There's a strong warning in Proverbs that reminds us of how important it is to have people around us. Proverbs 14.12 says this, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its way ends in death. A big warning sign to watch out for is the all I need is me mentality. The last road sign marker that can signal if you're not being teachable is this. Patterns of small trouble will lead you to big trouble. And here's what I mean by that. There's a lot of times when small amounts of trouble or pain shows up. Um, and what we do is we either do a band-aid fix on it. Or maybe we just ignore the problem altogether and we just keep going towards what we want. The road sign that this for this is falling rocks. I found this picture online. It's a cow. I just thought that was funny. Um, so if you've ever been on a mountain road, you've seen this sign there. Usually what happens, if you think about like a landslide or something, usually there's a few small rocks that start to fall loose at first. And then over time, all of a sudden, one of the rocks breaks loose and the whole landslide comes down. But those smaller rocks are kind of the signal that, hey, something may happen down the road. A recent example for me actually came as I was preparing for this sermon. Um, as I was thinking through this point in particular, um, God kind of brought to mind this area of finances. If I look back over the past several months, there was just this continual and consistent pattern of issues that came up when it came to our finances. That if I looked down the road, there was a landslide that was about to come if I didn't do something to change the way we were handling things. So that helped stop me in my tracks and helped get some input and figure out how do I, how do, I do this differently the way that I'm handling it. If you notice this, maybe if something came to mind as I was talking just now, I encourage you, get help right away. Um, don't keep ignoring the issue that keeps bubbling up to the surface. Um, stop thinking that I got this and start getting some input into that situation. You don't know when that last rock is going to come loose um, and the landslide's really going to fall in that situation. 
These four signs can be a help to you to know if your mind has been hijacked or your thinking has been distorted. Once you, do, once you kind of identify that your thinking is off, and that's when you can choose to have a teachable attitude in that moment and get back on track. And these are a few markers that, to get you back on track. And I'll just go through these pretty quickly. But the first one is this, choose humility. No matter what situation you find yourself in, if you're going to get input outside of yourself, it's going to require some humility. So it's going to require you just to admit, I don't know what's going on. I don't really know how to handle the situation. I just need some help. The second one is this, ask for input from wise people. Um, one of the things that's been helpful for me in this is just to come with some questions ready um, so that I'm trying to get as much feedback, feedback and as much helpful feedback I can from the person. And also just choose wise people. Choose people that you really respect um, the way that they handle life. Um, sometimes it's helpful to get input from peers, but really it's helpful to get from people that are a few steps ahead of you that have maybe been through situations like that. It can provide you a lot of input on those things. The third one is this. Turn to God for direction on handling life situations. Pray and ask God for guidance and wisdom. He'll give it. James says that he gives it to us when we ask for wisdom. Um, Study the Bible to see what it has to say about whatever situation. The Bible is such a great resource. It really will explain how things actually work. And the third one is this. Obey and do it. Actually take God's instruction and bring it into your life. Don't wait on bringing it in and trying out those principles and ideas. but, But apply it right away. So here are some next steps that you can take. Being teachable can allow you to miss so many hardships in life. Um, it really is the only shortcut that God has given us um, to know how, how, to, how to avoid a lot of trouble, a lot of hardship, and instead and just enjoy um, taking things God's way. So the first next step is this. Identify a situation where you're saying, I got this. Use those road signs as just kind of indicators to help you identify if something's going on. They can really, my hope is that there'll be just a clear, a clear sign and a clear warning that, hey, I should pay attention to this. You know, when I was traveling along from Texas, there were just a lot of those road signs that kept popping up. And if I would have listened to them, it would cause me a lot of hurt and trouble. The second step, and the last step is this, is as soon as you identify something like that, find someone wise and ask them for advice on that situation. I've found that it's best to seek these things out right away. A lot of times I've delayed on getting input. I know I need to figure something out. I just keep delaying on getting input on other things. So I just encourage you, if you've thought of this, get help and get input right away um, so that you can um, just help handle the situation. I hope this has been helpful for you this morning. This mentality can be very subtle, this individualistic, I got this attitude. It can slip into our everyday life and thoughts. Uh, if we're not if we're not careful, it can really hijack our thinking and distort how we're understanding how to handle situations that we, we come against. Over the next three weeks, we're going to identify more of the villains of teachability, and I hope you'll come back for the rest of the series. I hope it'll be helpful for you. And I hope that God would grant you help as you aim to be teachable this week. So let's pray. God, we just thank you so much that you're so patient with us when we um, just run into trouble and challenges. God, we're so grateful um, that as we have just, um, just over time, Lord, you, you bear up with us in patience and continue to instruct us in the way that we should go. Lord, I pray as we go about our weeks this week, um, Lord, if some situations came to mind, anybody, Lord, I pray that you would help them um, just to get help right away. I pray that they would first just turn to you and ask you for help, Lord, and they would experience your help in whatever situation they find themselves in. I pray, Lord, that they would find a wise person that they can get some clear understanding of what the situation is and how they can best handle it your way. And Lord, as we continue to try and do things your way in life, 
God, would you help us to trust you? Um, we know that you are you have our, our best interests in mind, that you are for us. Um, that if we do things your way, Lord, it really will lead to the best life. And so, God, I just pray as people have to trust you in different situations, Lord, would you just help them to do that? Would you help them to see how you're going to come through in this situation? Lord, we are just so grateful for you. We're grateful that you love us, that you're kind to us, that you're patient towards us, Lord. Just pray that you'd be honored today, Lord. Let's hear me pray. Amen.